Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with John Thompson, founder and chief strategy officer at Blue Margin on the impact of business intelligence on decision-making, creating a healthy business culture and employee retention. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is John Thompson, founder and chief strategy officer at Blue Margin and co-author of the book, The Dashboard Effect. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Christian. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. I always like to uh, give people an opportunity that are guests. On. So why don't you give us your story, your background, what your company does, how you got involved in this space? Sure. How far back? Should I go back to grade school? Not not since birth. Somewhere fast forward a little bit. Okay. Well, I will mention I went to uh, Colby College, Waterville, Maine, where it was cold. I got a degree in English literature, which set me up to be an entrepreneur, of course. Um, Joined the Peace Corps, was in Africa for a couple of years, uh, was a game warden, also great training for, you know, building a business. Uh, Came back here and found that I did have that that bug to... um, start a business and and get into industry. And um, in 2000, my brother and I, Brick, who's the CEO of the company here and co-founder, uh, we founded a company called Digital Reliance, became Vercuity. It was essentially our initial idea. Uh, we had some cell phone dealerships and we have another brother who was a venture capitalist at the time and said, you need to get into this dot-com game. I said, that sounds great. We raised our first round of funding, closed it a month before the NASDAQ started to drop in 2000 and never seemed to stop. Nonetheless, we uh, raised more VC, built the company up to about 30 people and converted from trying to sell cell phones online through something we called uh, incentive-driven referral marketing, which we thought was so proprietary, we wouldn't even say that phrase out loud. Uh, We ended up doing analysis on telecom expenses for companies, specifically wireless, back when it wasn't unlimited, and helping them to curb that cost. So we had some very large enterprise clients and could save them tens of thousands a month just by getting rid of phones that weren't being used by actual employees, things like that. Built that to 30 people and then went out for another round of funding and ended up getting purchased by One Equity Partners. We became the platform company for a five-business roll-up, and that was focused on data analytics, specifically around the telecom expense line item for companies, which was a lot bigger back then. Yep. And uh, went from 30 people to 500 sort of overnight. And despite the fact that my brother Brick is probably the biggest geek I know personally around Excel, our instrumentation for seeing what was happening in the business and understanding this five ring circus that we had suddenly created was lacking. And we spent most of our time managing the board and trying to figure out which way the wind was blowing. And that was challenging. Um, Have done some things since then in real estate, but came back to our technology roots in 2011 and founded blue margin. We have since worked with about 260 or 70 companies Primarily middle market, some enterprise, some lower market, but primarily middle market and therefore private equity. And we have found that precious few, maybe single digit percent of companies 
are really wired for data, that really have mastery of the numbers and can see their business through the empirical feedback of performance metrics. Um, it doesn't happen much, despite the fact that every company has a ton of data and every company really wants to see what's happening. Um, and there's a few reasons for, for that, some common pitfalls that that people make um, that we've made in, in the past and have learned from. Um, and the challenge there that we have found, the, the general thesis is that at the root of most, if not all business problems is poor visibility somewhere. Mm-hmm. Whether that's coordination between different units in the business, ownership of your area of the business, um, some objective accountability for your performance. So instead of intuition and and uh, past experience and and the, and the latest you know sort of recency bias on how you're doing, you actually have a score scoreboard scorecard for your department and specifically for you. Um, where you can see what's happening, you can own that, and you can go home firm-footed knowing that you have done a good job, or as Chuck Coonrad, who wrote The Game of Work, that was sort of our original Bible for this business, says people have to know if they're winning, and they have to know how to win, and if they can't see that, they tend to not want to play or they play safe, and that, we have always, found that, that consistently. That, that, it's like from project management, you know, we were talking briefly before we started recording, you know, and the, uh, you know, the OKR world and project management program management world is just, it's a simple premise. It's that if, if you don't understand what success looks like, how do you know that you've ever achieved that? If we're, and we're not working on the same page, people don't know what they're driving towards. I I always, I love the phrase, you know, having a shared understanding of the business and that can mean a lot of different things and it constantly changes. It, it, you, you, you're constantly tweaking, you're constantly adjusting because yeah. there's other fun things that, within the, the business intelligence. And if you are driven by the scorecards is that when people understand how they're being measured, then they will optimize their performance for those measurements, which sometimes doesn't then give you the, 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 the data that you really want. And that's why you're constantly tweaking and adjusting, yeah. you know, based on what it's people very are. true. I, I, I wish I, I'm sure we all do. I wish I could go back 20 years and just talk to myself for 15 minutes and say, look, the first thing you're going to do is put up a scorecard. I don't care if it's in crayon on a, on a piece of butcher paper to see here's the metrics that define where, where we're trying to go. And here's how we're doing. We're going to update it monthly by hand. That would have made all the difference because we spent so much time in, in various ventures uh, chasing strategy and, you know, coming up with, this is what we think the market wants. Let's put it out there and getting one or two negative responses and coming back and saying, well, that doesn't work and trying something else instead of measuring it and being empirical about it. The other point that you make that I am learning, uh, more and more, and this is one of the stumbling blocks I think for, think for companies is that, you put a dashboard up and it quickly becomes obsolete or it gets off target from the evolution of what you're trying to do. It's kind of like recurring meetings. Whenever someone sets one of those, I think, oh, geez, that's probably good for a month, month and a half. And then we don't need it, but no one wants to take it off because that feels like failure and you know being rejected. And so they stay forever. It can be the same with dashboards where they just no longer touch the right nerves and it requires ongoing maintenance it's it's a um it's a pillar of of running a business that you have to actively it's a managed asset you've got to you've got to stay on top of it well it's it it, it 
in my experience of working with and uh, running like governance bodies. Um, so again, running, I, so I earlier in my career built PMOs for several companies. Um, funny enough, we didn't talk about this before. I was like, but, you know, first third of my career was in telecom. So working for Pacific Bell and then right. for, if you remember North Point Communications of the big DSL companies, um, but I was at PacBell Wireless, um, well, PacBell Mobile Services, then PacBell Wireless, and then we became singular. Um, so yeah, we, we working in that world, that same world and, and working with all the vendors and things. But, but anyway, um, with these governance bodies and helping, you know, organize those, a bu bunch of the, uh, well, part of the problem starting those up and getting it going was just getting past people that were railing against the bureaucracy of having to meet on a regular basis and long winded meetings to go through stuff as we were kind of knocking things out, adjusting that model and trying to explain to people like stick with it. We have to be consistent. It's not about the fact that it's a two hour weekly meeting around that. It won't always be. We're trying to train people on the process to trust the process, to give feedback because yeah, there's there's all those those barriers to success of people pushing back about the process, people not being open with their feedback, people not really looking at the data and what it's telling us, and then adjusting. Uh, to your point, they they see a couple negatives in that, and then they want to change it. It's like, well, no, no, no. Let's let's continue down this path until it, you know the, the necessary changes in place. But what happens over time is. Those meetings get shorter. They get more efficient. People then trust the process. They know when they need to speak out, add their their comments, uh, and, and overall, I mean, long term, people are like this. This was a fantastic experience. Yeah, it's it's you have to recognize uh, in in what we do, and maybe in a lot of sectors, how the the human mind works. It you know some certainly recency bias is an issue. We tend to say, well, that you know last. The last meeting was a bit of a uh, waste of time, so this doesn't work. Or um, people that are drawn to shiny objects, or confirmation bias, and and you know having a, a bias in advance, and then looking for evidence. Um, if you don't have something stable, something empirical that gives you a feedback loop on how are we doing, how are we progressing in our government's de governance development, or whatever the case is, uh, then you you tend to wander. And we, we've done a lot of wandering in business. Um, and dashboards, getting a leadership team together and then ultimately the rest of the company to galvanize on what are the metrics that we care most about? What is it we're actually doing? What are the what are, what are the kernels that drive value? And we've worked that over and pressure tested it and played with it and refined it. That gets people then centered and solidified on the game plan. And you can keep going instead of, you know, following your intuition, which is often untrustworthy, very important I use it a lot, uh, but if it's not anchored, then it can it can send you into the pastures unknown. So, what is the? I, I, so, as you do this in your in your practice, uh, you're going and working with a new client, working with an organization that is misaligned. I mean, how specifically do you target? You say, well, clearly the divisions, operations, the leadership team, uh, you know, are are moving in different directions. So what is your strategy with getting alignment across the stakeholders, the constituencies in an org? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of two paths. One is the macro, one's the micro. So 
when we start working with a company, uh, and, and I advise any company to do this, uh, look at your business model through a, a data lens. So start out and, and understand, map out, here's our uh, game plan, here's what we're doing to create value in the market, here's our key initiatives, and here's where we plan to be in one and three years in terms of our outcomes, our performance metrics. Um, and then look broadly, what are the different functional areas of our business that contribute to that? Uh, who are the key roles in each one of those areas? And what are the metrics that are accountable to influence or deliver? And what are our data sources? So you get that bigger picture of here's our business model in terms of the empirical metrics on how we're performing. And then on the micro side, looking for a place where there's a nice balance of light lift and high impact quickly, because getting that momentum and showing people the power of having a second brain, this, this dashboard um, that can support their efforts and really direct their thinking instead of having it wander or be subject to the, the whims of the day. Um, that's where you get that momentum that you need to start to build on. You can't, we've tried this, trust me, uh, take a waterfall approach and say, we're going to get all eight data sources into a data warehouse and send it to IT. They'll tell us when they're done. And then we'll have everything and we will begin to create reports and we'll take over the world by this tremendous visibility and, and instrumentation into what's happening. Um, that doesn't work well for a number of reasons. One is uh, you lose the momentum. You've spent a lot of money and time and you don't have anything that you can put your hands on to show for it. Secondly, the way that that is built, if it's disconnected from, if it's just in IT and it's not driven by an analyst or an FP&A person or an executive who really understands strategy, that backend data model, that data warehouse or lake um, is going to be arcane and difficult to navigate, difficult to generate reports from. So better to pick a spot, sales, finance, some piece of operations, supply chain, um, key customers, whatever the case is, get a win and have people have the lights come on. And it, when you do that well, when you really nail a spot that is is influential to the uh, profitability and growth of the company, and that visibility comes not just to one person, but up and down the chain. So from the executives to, let's say, the VP of sales, um, then people start seeing the potential, the art of the possible, they get excited and then you can roll from there. So that's, that's typically the approach. Yeah. There's a, I, I mean, there's just universal truths out there. I mean, one of them that I talk about often is the, you know, is piloting, piloting and, and it, it, the iterative approach. It's a more organic way to go and make change. When you talk about change management in an organization, there might be problems. There might be needs in multiple areas. You can have multiple pilots going on and look at those different things. But generally, you start small with a very specific goal, a target that this is what we're trying to achieve and, and grow up from there. And I mean, to your point, you're going to be able to get people will see that, see the, the impact, see the difference that was made. And then start looking, okay, how do we expand this now to two organizations? How do we build upon what we've learned and not just jettison that, not just go start over, but add on to that and, and keep it moving forward? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, the change management piece, because that's also one of the big pitfalls that causes the vast majority of companies who have data and are investing in it and understand the value of it to fall short and end up in the same place. And that is the human 
survival instinct to resist change. There's a good reason for it. If you if you didn't have that, you'd change every every couple seconds and and never get going down a path. But that resistance is there. So people are used to using a an Excel spreadsheet. They've spent a lot of time constructing, a lot of time shaping. Um, it's great because it shows them the numbers, but it's not great because it is a point in time. Um, it's what we call a a um, uh, uh, floater and you know an isolated uh, piece of information that's on a driver and an email. Um, it requires a lot of sort of cross-referencing and mental calculations to come to a conclusion. It doesn't say, here's your issue, here's the data to, to take action on it, and here's what you need to do. It sort of requires a person to, to get this intuitive sense once they look at the dashboard to know what to do, like an investor who can look at, at uh, candlestick charts and somehow intuitively know which way it's going to go next. That's asking a lot, but once people get used to that, it's tough to change. So in if you can find a small area that's not too threatening, but that has good impact, then you can begin to shift that change. Um, what often happens is, again, it goes to IT and they say, we need a bunch of reports. Someone goes out and collects requirements from every leader in the business. They come out and say, here's your reports. It's got all your KPIs and metrics. They're topical sort of a smorgasbord of, of information and say, we're done. There you go. You know, we got the requirements, we filled the requirements. And that's sort of the 10 yard line or maybe the 20 yard line on the way to the goal. The rest of it is, do people adopt this and do they change the way they work? Getting people to change the way they work is no small task. You've got to really get their buy-in. You've got to understand how they naturally go through a narrative of understanding their world and taking action. And you've got to mirror that so that then they fall in love with the dashboard. It becomes their second brain. They depend on it. Then you get that shift. You can't just put out stuff based on what they said they wanted. It doesn't tend to work. We've tried it a bunch of times. Well, it's always interesting. I've worked with a couple organizations that did some dashboarding like really well. There was a company I worked with a few years back, and I've talked about uh, a, a lot uh, working with organizations that are trying to automate a lot of their marketing and trying to understand in marketing, which is, you know, my primary space where my degrees are from and that space is, is that, you know, people are very much, you know, the try something, they're throwing things against the wall, see if it'll stick. They, it's very difficult to, uh, for people to understand that, Hey, you need to, get this into a process, get this into a funnel so that you understand, hey, we could do a bunch of creative things, cast a wide net to fill the top of the funnel. But this one company that I worked with uh, was so competent in their measurements around that. They would do a new marketing campaign and they would understand, uh, you know, they, they could estimate the sales, the output at the bottom of that. They knew that 100 new leads go into the top of it 50% of those would uh, become marketing qualified. Uh, half of those would become sales qualified and, you know, one out of five would close. So every hundred names go in the top five sales at the bottom and the average sales price around that. So as they would do campaigns uh, and they would look at that, that performance of those campaigns and understand this is overperforming, it's underperforming. Why is that? And make adjustments along the way, go out to a new region, see how it was performing compared to those other regions and adjust their overall model. And it was fascinating to look at it that way through that lens 
of, you know, hey, this is, it's repetition. We're being consistent in the model. We're not just restarting. We're looking at based on the, the historic data that we've seen here, making necessary adjustments uh, around that. And so it was, it was just a fantastic discussion to have at those weekly marketing calls of what do we need to adjust? What do we need to tweak? Do we, you know, more on the top adjustments along the path uh, to delivery. And it just, it was just a very different, uh, uh, you know, well, company, just this, just this style of running a way of working uh, with marketing. And I've honestly, I've not seen marketing organizations that have run like that since I left that company. Well, it's, it, that's the poster child would be my, that's heavily where I've been too. And, you know, the adage that one third of your marketing works, you don't, you just don't know which one third. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough because there's, there's not perfect uh, insight and correlation to what comes out the bottom of the funnel and where do they go up above. Um, and so you might sort of throw your hands up and, and maybe you have a genius visionary who can hold the line and say, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stick with it. But unless you have the numbers sort of giving you that feedback loop, it's very easy to wander and you go on to the next shiny thing. You do what they call random acts of marketing. Yeah. Um, we've all been guilty of that. And, and marketing is, is, you know, sort of infamous for that. Well, it, it comes down to like people pushing back on the bureaucracy around it. So yeah, it requires uh, you know, you to take the time to tag content, to make sure that your your sales and operations and sales operations specifically um, are living and breathing inside of the CRM platform and everything is tagged, every conversation, a feedback around that, it like moves because attribution is incredibly hard. It's messy. It's not a clean, uh, it's, there's not an automated way for most of it. It's still very manual, um, for a lot of those inputs. But when people are doing things, when your salespeople, sales and marketing operations are providing those inputs, then you start to see, it's, it's, you start to see the matrix, you know? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I wonder, certainly the the pushback against the overhead and bureaucracy of, of tracking those things as part of it. I think there's also other aspects that make it difficult for people to want to measure what's happening, especially in marketing, but elsewhere. And it's funny because it's, it's the, the second half of, or it's the other side of the coin for anything you do, your, whether it's your marriage or, or anything, you're looking for feedback on how's it's going, how is this going? Where do I need to adjust? And you can't carry a loose framework when you go into business, you've got to have that be empirical um, or you've really got half a design. You don't, you don't build a formula one car and then say, look, it comes down to the driver and their instincts. So no instrumentation. No, there's constant feedback on, you know, how are my tires and how's, how are all my, um, my systems? Are they operating at peak performance? What do I need to adjust? And, uh, same in marketing and anywhere else. And yet for some reason we tend to I think maybe we feel it squelches inspiration to have to boil it down to hard numbers. And we want to stay sort of in that creative intuitive mode. Um, and that is important. You got to have that, but if you don't back it up, then, then you will end up with a, with a mushy uh, game plan in the end. I, I always, I look, I recognize the opposite of that as well. There are people that 
live and die by their their uh, spreadsheets and they go and they look at the dashboard and then not have conversations with people. So one of the things I always say is like, look, it's a tool. It should inform your decision making, but you you can't forget that there are the intangibles. There's the human elements. You have to have conversations. I mean, I have personal experience with managers that were looking at data and charts and missing the point, missing what was actually happening on the ground. I always use as as an example, a support engineer that had the fewest number of tickets that he was closing in a month and was on the list of people to be managed out. (laughs) And the reality was that all of his peers gave him the hardest, ugliest, worst problems. He worked on the biggest. So he had the fewest tickets and they were the biggest, hairiest, you know, uh, uh, issues that were out there. But there was a manager that a director that refused to have that conversation. And only when the product team up above that, the tier three went back and said, this is our go-to engineer. What are you talking about? This is the person that's helping us improve the product until it got, you know, uh, de-escalated. Yeah. Um, so it's maybe, maybe yeah. that's one of the advantages of of dashboards over tabular reports. You know, rows and columns and numbers. Is you can also, like to your point, get lost in analysis paralysis, and you're trying to solve your business and 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 tie every loose end, and you can't. A lot of it is creative. It, it it's a tool that informs and grounds your thinking and your evolution as you go. And if it doesn't speak to everyone so that they can coalesce around, here's how we're doing, and we can see it in red, yellow, and greens and trends that are visual, um, then you could get lost in that analysis. And then other people who are not spreadsheet oriented are flying, you know, sort of uh, ad hoc. I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, what, what, would you say are the common pitfalls that keep companies uh, from successfully leveraging their data and growing and being yeah. profitable and finding success? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, often when companies say, "Look, we've got to leverage our data," we're, we're lacking visibility. We, you know, people are not aligned on what we're doing, and I can't see what's happening. It's similar to when we. Um, were purchased by PE and suddenly it felt like we were in the midst of a, of a firestorm. Um, they'll say, okay, that sounds like a technical project. Let's send it to IT. And IT is instrumental and, and plays a critical role in every project we do. And oftentimes it's an IT leader, but, but someone who's at the table, who is uh, working on strategy and understands it. Um, if it's not that, and it goes to, you know, uh, a database administrator and, and someone else, a data architect, and they are simply looking at it from a technical perspective in terms of performance and in terms of security and things like that, and not tying it to the business, then you end up with this um, this black box in the basement. And if you're an executive and you say, how, how often is our Salesforce data refreshing? And it's two weeks to get an answer. Um, that can really put the brakes on a data initiative. So making sure that you're thinking about it, not in terms of this is a technical project, but this is a uh, culture and strategic project an alignment project and a value creation plan enabler. And coming at it from that direction makes a big difference. So that's one of the first pitfalls. And then, as I mentioned, the waterfall approach is a killer. We haven't found a way to go away for six months, work on something 
and have it be effective. You've got to get wins early and often, but you need to first understand the full environment so that you're not um, just taking isolated projects and jumping around and creating cul-de-sacs and rework and so on. Uh, but rather you're thinking in terms of how do we do this in building blocks so that eventually it culminates to a single view at the executive level of here's the eight metrics that define our success as a business. And then the, the dashboards and reports underneath that feed that, that map to other personas in the business, that's where you're headed. So you want to think in terms of building that over time in small sprints. Um, and Probably the sleeper, the one that's overlooked and is the biggest pitfall is dashboard design. And this has taken us a long time to get to because it, it is a funny thing when you go to a subject matter expert in a company, uh, head of marketing and say, what are the metrics that matter to you? That person does know which metrics are most important better than anyone, at least the ones they care about. But unless you drill down and say, look, what are the outcomes you're responsible for? Number of leads and so on. And then work backwards from there and not uh, leave any links out of the chain, but really understand what are the leading activities and indicators that result in that and which ones are less important. Um, and, and then map those leading indicators to specific people and what they need to do uh, to perform in their job and give them that instrumentation. And then when you present that dashboard, not say, here's the eight metrics you wanted, but rather get under the surface and understand what's their narrative for first gaining awareness. So the first thing you need with anything, whether you're working with a patient in a hospital or you name it, is you need the vitals. How are we doing on those, on those end outcomes? And then that person will have an immediate question. So sales are down or number of sales qualified leads or marketing qualified leads are down. Their next question is, oh, I need to see that by campaign. I need to know which ones are succeeding, which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And once I stack that up and see my low performers, I want to see how much I'm spending on each one and what's my ratio of return to, to investment. Um, and I need to see it then by category of type of campaign. So are these email campaigns? Or is, is this digital marketing? What, what is this? And on down until, until you get to the detail where you can say, oh, we need to change that one. We need to cancel that one. So it's that that flow from, from awareness to analysis to action in one place. Mm -hmm. And questions will come up as they go through that. You don't want to have them have to go to someone else or another spreadsheet to get those answers. If you can put them all in context and it's a nice flow for them, they will feel very empowered. The same quality of instrumentation the CEO has, the VP of marketing should have, and the sales rep should have. You know, it just made me think like 20 years ago, I sat down, I was working at a startup, a little venture capital backed startup, little, uh, they raised $250 million. But anyway, uh, Sat with uh, a, 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 a user experience design company and went through their methodologies there to, to, divide, to, to, uh, to define the interface, to design the, you know, the layout of that. And it was very much of the uh, you know, go through that experience with a, an interface designer um, and get those questions like you click there. What did you think was going to happen there? What were you expecting? What's missing for like that to go into that? And it sounds very, um, it was a uh, way to put it. It's like, 
it was just a very gentle process and trying to, to, so I got very comfortable very quickly with this team and a couple of people that were watching me looking at a screen design that, but going through and being, having some training in UX development helped immensely later in building tools, building software, building dashboards um, to ask those kinds of questions. We almost, you almost need to have that some kind of training around UX yeah. um, to be really good at building dashboards. Yeah. And I've always thought of UI and UX people as, as magicians because you, you use some apps and you think, yeah, of course it worked perfectly. And it was utterly intuitive and I flowed right through. And I mean, obvious, it should be obvious how to do that. And then you use another app by some big name company and you think, did any executive take this home for an evening and try it because right. it's impossible. And I'm at least average intelligence and I can't figure this out. And you begin to realize, Oh, there are a thousand variables. And so our process with dashboards, our UX discipline is around pressure testing. So we like to do a storyboard or what we call a wireframe. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I would advise anyone who's going to do a dashboard to, to start this way. It's like starting with an outline before you write a paper. If you dig in and start writing the paper and you find yourself on page five and you realize you're onto a completely different track and now you're, you don't want to give up what you did. And so you're reworking it and you're 40 hours in as an English major, I can speak to that. Hmm. Uh, same thing with dashboards, do a picture that takes a half an hour based on your interview of what they're looking for and your understanding of their narrative and then go through it with them. And what'll happen with dashboards is someone sees it and they they look at it and say, wow, bright colors and, and cool, you know, area charts and, and uh, trees and all sorts of interesting stuff. And they, they come away saying, wow, this is great. We've got it. But unless you dig in and say, okay, if this was red, what would you do? What question would you have? What action would you take? What decision would you need to make? Oh, if that was red, I'd need to know. And then you go to the next thing. And why do you have this piece of information? Well, that one is really just informational sort of context. We really jump on those. Anything that's just informational and it doesn't drive a decision, an action, or a question needs to be removed or it's, it begins to muddle it up. And as soon as you get to a convoluted dashboard, you're sort of done as far as the adoption goal. So that that's how we go through that process. We've got to understand it and they've got to answer every every justification for why this is here and what they would do depending on what it says. John, I know there's a lot. Uh, actually, I, I had some other questions that I wanted to uh, jump into. I know that we could probably go on for another hour around this, but I, I do like to, at the end, uh, give you an opportunity to talk about for folks that want to find out more, how can they reach out to you? How can they find out more about what your company does? Yeah, um, they can go to bluemargin.com um, and they'll find us on there. In fact, they can go to our team and find anyone, including me and get direct contact. Also John at bluemargin.com, J O N. Um, they're welcome to reach out. We're always happy to spend a half an hour, uh, helping someone to s refine their direction on their, on their data initiative, whether we're going to help them or not. Uh, that's a, a genuine offer. So any of those would work great. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening.